Hello, I'm Sky Barkley, and this is my wife, Noelle Barkley. And God has given us an opportunity to volunteer with the Free Burma Rangers in Mosul, Iraq. As Christians, moral neutrality is not an option when it comes to the oppression people face under ISIS. Some of us are given an ability to act, and some people may only have an ability to speak out. But whether it's action or just speaking out against the atrocities that occur there, we have a moral obligation to respond. The things that we see there, children peppered with shrapnel, dozens and dozens of bodies in the streets, shot by snipers as they were trying to flee their homes, mothers and newborns shot in the back as they fled the fighting. All this draws people together to stand against it whether they may be Iraqi, French, American, Burmese ethnics, people want to stand up and cry out against what's happening. Iraq is, is such a dark, dark place when it comes to the spiritual reality. Um, we have seen a, a lot of um, the atrocities that you think that uh, men would not be able to do to another man. You read about it, you hear about it, but when you see it, it's, it's a different story. I told people, please just pray for the stronghold that the enemy has in this part of the world. Um, there are good people here. They're under a stronghold. They're, we have many friends who believe differently, and, and they're good people. They're made in the image of God, and they need the gospel. And, and that's one reason we're there. We're, not, we're there to take medical care and to make kids smile, to combat trauma. But above all, we are there to bring the gospel and to love people well. So currently we are distributing food, water, and other necessities in areas that need it. So we also do the Good Life Club, which is a program where we bring in all the children and we get to see them laugh and have fun while we're showing and just being the gospel to them. It's, it's a beautiful thing. The purpose of the Free Burma Rangers is to bring help, hope, and love to people who have endured oppression. And we do so in the name of Jesus Christ. God sees these things. He's against them because it's evil. And those who serve him should stand against them.
absolutely honored to be here tonight. I can tell this is a congregation that loves Jesus. Uh, I felt the spirit here while we were praying. I love that you guys start out that way because uh, prayer is vital to everything that we do. And whenever we come back, uh, when my cousin Paul and his wife told us, we've been praying for you, and I said, thank you. I don't, I don't say that lightly because it saves our lives probably every single day. Uh, but I also want to let you guys know something. Um, you're getting a raw deal because I am nothing. I'm not the strongest, the fastest, the, definitely not the smartest. Uh, you can ask my cousin. And... Uh, and I'm, I'm imperfect. But everything we do, we, we, we do in obedience. And that's why we are where we are today. So my name is Sky Barkley. This beautiful woman right here is my wife. Don't look at my wife. <laughs> what are you doing, man? Come on now. And uh, I am a much better man because of her. I don't know if anybody else, anybody else have a wife that makes them feel that way. That's right. All the other, put your hands up. <laughs> get in trouble. So let's go ahead and clear something up. A lot of people think that, uh, that we are military, that I am still in the military. I was in the Marine Corps, uh, but the Free Burma Rangers is a non-government organization. In fact, it's a Christian non-government organization or an NGO, and it was founded about 25 years ago in Burma by a former Special Forces major by the name of David Eubank. In Burma, there's a 70-year civil war. Still going on to this day, there's fighting still up in the north, and it was founded to try and combat the oppression that the people there are facing in front of, okay, it was founded to combat the oppression people are facing there. And what the Free Burma Rangers does is train up the ethnic people of Burma in order to go out and serve as medics to video and document the humanitarian rights violations perpetrated against the ethnics in the northern part of Burma, and to bring help, hope, and love to people who need it. And I'll tell you what, I love the Burmese people. They're a lot like hobbits. They're short, they're resilient, and they're not going to miss a meal. And they like to laugh. There's a guy named Ilya, i got to tell you about Ilya. He was the first ranger. He's been with them since they began. Uh, he likes to chew betel nut. He's everything that you expect from an ethnic Karen. And, and I asked him one day, because this guy's been with FBR for so long, I was sitting there with him in a Humvee in Iraq, and I said, Ilya, you've been to Sudan You've been chased by the Burmese army. There's like a bounty on your head. What do you, and here you are in Iraq. You've been in Kurdistan. What do you, what's the most dangerous place you've ever been? And he's, he's like, oh, well, uh, you know, I think here may be the most dangerous because, ha, 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 we do not know where the sniper is. Maybe we step out to the Humvee and then we get shot in the head. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, crap. I'm going to die? Awesome people. Now, the most important thing to us, though, is that we help people, we get the word out, but that we live out and get a chance to present the gospel to people. And today, I want an opportunity to discuss the hard stuff. Um, this has been on my heart. I, I want to be super, super blunt with this congregation. But before we dive into that, I want to tell you guys about how it is that I came to be with the Free Burma Rangers. Because when I look back, and maybe you guys have all experienced this, I see how it is the Lord was molding me and shaping me to go out and do his ministry. Because we're all called to it. Not everybody's a missionary, not everybody's a pastor, but we're all engaged in ministry, amen? Yeah, amen. And so I enlisted in the Marine Corps right out of high school, went to boot camp, went to Fallujah, uh, went to Ramadi, had the pleasure of being in the worst part of Iraq, and I wanted no part of the Lord back then. 
I was, in a, I was in a car wreck, shattered my right hip, couldn't continue to be in. I wanted to go all the way, 20-year chesty, special forces, super secret squirrel, special ops. But no, I had to get out. And I served in law enforcement. I got to go to school. I spent three years as a bouncer. Hated it. Kicking drunks out of the club. Walking apart from the Lord. And then I decided, you know, well, I need more money coming in. So I'll use my GI Bill. I'll probably never use it, but I'll go get and get uh, my EMT schooling. And then I had an existential crisis. I came home one night, looked myself in the mirror. Maybe you've had an experience like this. And I realized I was not the man that the Lord created me to be. And so I sold everything I owned. I went down to South America and lived with an indigenous tribe for two months in the Amazon jungle. And then I found the Lord. So I went on a mission trip and then found God. But I, whatever works. The point is, is I was instantly transformed by the renewing of my mind. And all this hatred and discontent that I had carried around for years disappeared like that. Now I find myself working in Iraq, a country that when I left the first time, I said I was never coming back here. Now I'm never coming back to this place. Funny how the Lord has a sense of humor, ain't it? <laughs> now I find myself being a medic. And as it says in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, coming back to the States, people like to ask me, so how was it? How was it? Now, you know this person's in, like, I, I know they're in a hurry, and they don't have time to sit there and listen to me talk for eight hours straight. How was it? It was hard. And that's my answer. But tonight, we're going to, I'm going to tell you guys why. I'm going to tell you why it was hard. It's hard because to be there, I have to acknowledge what's happening is real. What ISIS is doing is real. And what they are is real. Ter ISIS is a terrorist organization, right? Anybody ever heard of ISIS show of hands? Right? They're a terrorist organization, right? right. Wrong. I love you, Pastor. <laughs> no, they're not just a terrorist organization. Oh, they use terror. Yes, they do, but let me enlighten you. People think ISIS is a terrorist organization. At the height of their power, ISIS controlled 35,000 square miles of territory throughout Iraq and Syria. 35,000 square miles. This includes major cities like Mosul, their capital in Iraq. Mosul is the second largest city in that country. Also Raqqa, a major city, their capital in Syria, still under control. Mosul recently liberated for the most part, still pockets of resistance to my understanding. What terrorist organization controls 35,000 square miles? They generated over $2 billion a year at the height of their power. Sometimes $100 million a day by selling oil on the black market. They are well-funded. What terrorist organization generated that? Selling antiquities on the black market, taxing the people, looting banks in newly controlled territory. $2 billion a year they generated. And with each key victory, ISIS was gaining armament. These aren't a bunch of lunatics just running around. Oh, they're lunatics, but they're not just running around with AK-47s and suicide vests. They have T-55 tanks, T-62 tanks, T-72 tanks, other tracked vehicles, U.S.-built Humvees, HJ-8 anti-tank missiles. They are well-armed. At the height of their power, the estimated number of ISIS fighters was anywhere in between 50 and 200,000 people. Over 20,000 people left their homes to join the Islamic State. 
200,000, 50 to 200,000. Does that sound like a simple terrorist organization? Have we potentially been deluded? Or, like, are we deluding ourselves to feel more safe? This is, I, I don't want to call them a state because I don't want to risk giving them legitimacy. They are a pseudo-state, and they are dedicated to their cause. They have money, territory, a standing army, and conventional arms and the training to use it. They are a pseudo-state. How was it in Iraq? It was hard. It's hard to stand against a group like ISIS because then I have to acknowledge the evil that's happening in the world. And it's hard for us to cry out against it because that means we have to, as a church, acknowledge the evil that's happening in the world. And that's hard because we want to feel safe. We like to be safe in America. I don't know if you notice. We like insurance and bike helmets and we don't want lead paint. Hey, those are all like things we, ah, that's fine. I understand that, okay? But we have to acknowledge what's happening, what ISIS does. Anybody have a Facebook you guys ever hear that? It's a social media thing. Yeah, I have a Facebook. And sometimes it's, you might see some articles pop up about ISIS and some of the atrocities they've ever committed. Anybody ever seen that pop up on their Facebook? People sharing stuff like that? So you may have heard of some of the atrocities they've committed, right? Like 19 Yazidi girls burned alive for refusing to have sex for, with their captors. 25 civilians accused of spying lowered, spying lowered into vats of nitric acid until their organs dissolved. Thousands of men, women, and children executed by gunshot and sword. Anybody ever heard of a Yazidi? Anybody ever heard of them? Show of hands. See, the Yazidis are an ethnic minority group that lived around Mount Sinjar. And when ISIS came in about three years ago, they surrounded that mountain and trapped the people at the very top. Eight days without food and water. The men, they systematically executed, committed genocide. The women, they enslaved, over 5,000 of them. Girls as young as nine raped over and over again. But you know what? Maybe you, like I, have learned that you can't trust everything you read on the internet. Understandable. Well, I'll tell you what. I hope that you can trust what I'm about to tell you because I've seen it with my own two eyes. You see, ISIS will take a car bomb, which is a car plated and then packed with 2,000 pounds of an ammonium nitrate-based explosive. These things are so powerful. I was in a house once when there was an attack on a compound. I was putting my boots on, getting ready to go out and do my medic thing, when I saw the flash of light outside the window. And I was like, oh, this is it. I'm dead. Glory to God, I'm coming home. So I threw myself down on the mattress, and all the windows in the house busted out, blew the door off the hinges. And I was like, oh, must have been right outside. I go running out, ears ringing. No, man, that car bomb was on the other side of a house, on the other side of a wall. This is a blockbuster, ladies and gentlemen. I remember working on the east side, embedded with the emergency response division, seeing wave upon wave of casualties rolling in. Car bombs detonated among groups of civilians. Peppered with shrapnel, dead, people's limbs blown off. I remember pulling shrapnel out of a woman, screaming and yelling. Old lady, I was pulling two pieces of shrapnel out of her back about the size of a quarter. And she's screaming and slapping herself over and over again, hollering. And I said, man, this lady's crazy. Because once I was done, she kept on screaming. And then I went outside and I realized what had happened. Her two kids had been killed in the car bomb. Her two, her two, her two older sons and the father was out there crying. And how can I console a father who just lost his two sons? I can't. All I can do is stand there and let him cry on my shoulder. <laughs> 
I remember a kid coming to us. Isis had hopped onto the roof of his house from another home, and he'd been hit by an airstrike. And the skin was peeling off his face. His face was turning white. The skin was peeling off his arms, and I was having to do a debridement, take the skin off, and then put on the burn cream. And he kept on saying something to me over and over again in Arabic, and I couldn't understand what he was saying. So I called over one of our interpreters and said, what's he saying, man? And he says, uncle, that hurts. And I couldn't even keep the flies off because there were so many. I remember the mother of an infant being shot in the back. I showed up, and I knew she was dead as soon as I got there, eyes wide open. And all I could do is try to treat her, me and another guy, David Eubank, the leader of our organization, make her family feel a little bit better. But I knew she was dead when I got there. I seen enough by then. And then I had to turn to her husband and shake my head because I knew she wasn't coming back after we started doing compressions. Her lungs had filled up with blood. She died. I remember picking up a kid 13 years old out of the back of an ambulance and putting him down on the ground. And the whole time I'm treating him, again, he's saying something over and over again in Arabic. And I asked Shaheen, one of our interpreters, come over. I'm like, what's he saying, man? He said, he's saying, I'm a man. He kept on saying over and over again, I'm a man, because he didn't want to cry. He took it like a champ. I remember a gas attack. My wife was in the casualty collection point where that happened, chlorine gas, men drowning, unable to breathe in their own fluids. That's what ISIS does, ladies and gentlemen. And no matter what rock we find to hide under, it's still happening. And we don't get to live in comfort. The church doesn't just get to turn its back on it. Psalm 94 says, who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will stand for me against evildoers? And the response of the church as a whole should be, we will. Not I will, we will. How was it in Iraq? It was hard. It was hard to let go of old assumptions, clinging to old hates, stuff we get taught by the media. You see, the Iraqis are always the bad guys, right? You can shake your head. It's okay. Usually if I ask a congregation, how many of you hear the word Iraqi and, you know, think bad guy, raise your hand. It's about 50%. And in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I get it. Uh, you see a tattoo on my arm right here. It's a burning mosque. I hated Muslims. I hated Arabs. I hated that whole part of the world before I came to accept the Lord when he transformed my mind. And as I said, we work alongside the Iraqi military and the federal police. They're, they're the ones who go in. They allow us to help their people and to help them to treat their, their casualties as well as the civilian casualties. They're the good guys. The Iraqi army is the good guys. I don't know if you guys knew that. I saw a young soldier in Shahrazad. This guy was brought in. He had some shrapnel in his lower leg and been hit by a rocket-propelled grenade. He was like 19 or 20 years old, already been hit three times. He was smiling and winking at me the whole time like, no big deal, bro. And I was there with a guy by the name of Captain Osama. He's an Iraqi medical officer, and he speaks perfect English. In fact, he speaks like a bro. He's like, dude, what's going on? And I'm like, not much, man. How are you? He's like, just treating this guy. And so he's wrapping this guy up. And he's like, you know what this guy is doing? The, guy, the young kid was waving around a box of empty medication. He says, you know what this guy is doing? He's trying to get pills for the civilian that lives in the home next to where he was blown up. And after he was treated, he put his pants back on and went back out after being hit by a rocket-propelled grenade and brought the medication to that civilian. 
I remember seeing another soldier, Haidar, man, just running out over and over again, picking up wounded civilians and running them to safety on foot. My friend Colonel Faras, this guy I sat with like four hours. He was also like a, he's like a fat jolly guy, like an Iraqi Santa Claus with no beard. He was awesome. He spoke great English, and he said he spoke great German, but I don't know because I don't speak German. And I was sitting there talking to him for about four hours, and he was going on and on about how he had spent so long in the military, and he, and he was tired of fighting. He's, they're tired of it. Four hours, he's just talking about, only I want to go home and eat and become more fat. I was like, amen, brother. And three days later, he was shot six times providing cover fire for his men, and he won't get to go home. And not only are these guys brave, and not only do they love their people, they are the reason ISIS is losing in Iraq. Yes, the U.S. military provides airstrikes. They provide high-value target raids by their special forces. But the reason that ISIS is losing is the Iraqi military, an army full of Muslims. Guys, not all of them want to cut off our heads. Not all of them hate us. They welcome the help. They're tired of being portrayed as the bad, bad, bad guys. And I won't forget them. Mohammed and Muhammad killed in a suicide car in Badouche. Ahmed killed by a mortar in West Mosul. Colonel Faras and Lieutenant Hussein shot to death by ISIS. Those men had families, loved ones who will miss them. They're good people and they need the gospel. Just because they're Muslim, just because they're Iraqi, doesn't mean that... They don't need the gospel. Doesn't mean we shouldn't go there. How often do I see posts on Facebook by people saying, nuke them, kill them all. Good church going, folks. Really? They need the gospel just as much as we do. And we have to be willing to go. How was it in Iraq? It's hard. It was hard. It's hard to lean on the Lord when your situation makes it feel like he's not there. Anybody ever been in a situation like that? You feel like you're alone? I'll tell you a story. The morning of May the 4th, we prepared to stand by our friends of the 36th Armored Brigade as they pushed into an area called Musherfa in north, northwest Mosul. And before we went in, I read Psalm 31 because I knew it had the words that I needed to hear. I like, I like Psalms. You know, you know Mosul's Nineveh, right? Mosul, Iraq, that's Nineveh. You know where Jonah went? Super cool. And I like Psalms because it really comes alive when you're in that area. Because Psalms it wasn't written to be metaphorical. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. We advanced, actually, let me tell you guys something, man. The Iraqi army, you know they gave us an up-armored Humvee? We are a Christian NGO. We are not military, man. I cannot believe it. Lord's provision is good. We got an up-armored Humvee to use as an ambulance. Thank the Lord. That thing saved my life. We advanced behind a line of tanks and BMB-1s. BMB-1s are like a personnel carrier, like a small Soviet-era tank. Mortars were air bursting overhead, hitting the ground. Rounds going over our heads. And as we pushed forward, we found ourselves behind a BMB-1 using it for cover, treating about five guys who had been hit by a car bomb. And as we treated them, another Humvee pulled up. 
and the, I asked the Iraqi soldier if he had wounded. He said, yeah. And I ran over and I looked in and there was a man sitting there and he's holding his guts on his stomach. And I said, I'll treat him, but we're getting shot at here. Go to the top of the hill near those buildings. I can treat him there. And so he took off. And then we were using our Humvee as a shield from the snipers. And the rounds came so close, God was curving bullets for me that day. A round passed through my pocket, shattered my cell phone, and nicked the back of my knee. The scar is so small, it looks like a mosquito bite. So, like, it's not nothing to brag about. Praise God. Yeah, my wife said, yeah, thank you. So I can still walk. Thank the Lord. We got up to the top of the hill. We treated that guy. And then, looking down the hill, we saw three civilians had been shot while fleeing the fighting. So we all jump into our shot-up Humvee. It's leaking fluids everywhere, oil and all kinds of stuff. I don't even know what all is leaking out of it. There's so many fluids pouring out. And we jump in, and the guy who jumped in to drive for us was an Iraqi soldier friend by the name of Muhammad. You know, this guy came to us a few days earlier, and he said, <clears throat> he has a funny way of speaking. His inflection makes everything into a question. I, uh, I want to uh, follow Jesus. <laughs> Praise God, man. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah, Okay. We're all about that. This guy comes to us, and, and he just watched what we did. Seven months, we'd stand by this guy. You know the, how long it takes on average to see someone come to know the Lord in a Muslim country? About 10 years. Praise the Lord. So this guy jumps in the driver's, the driver's seat, and we all go rushing down this hill to where these civilians. I get out. We're behind a berm, just behind some cover, and I see this little girl. She was wearing a yellow dress. She had been shot right here in the temple, and the round had exited her eye. Her eye was hanging down on her face. So I picked her up, and I put her in the Humvee, and I got in. And then somebody else handed me her father who'd been shot in the leg. He's just squirting blood everywhere. So I slap a tourniquet on him. Me and another medic, we're trying to treat the little girl. And we get into the Humvee, and we start going. But we couldn't quite make it up the hill because they've been so shot up. And now we're trapped with rounds coming in. And Muhammad says, I will go get another Humvee. And he jumps out and runs 150 meters under fire and brings down another Humvee. Only there were still rounds coming in. And when our interpreter Shaheen got out, I was looking at him. And the round, I saw it pass through his belly and hit the door right behind him. He screamed and he hit the ground. And then Muhammad jumped out. This guy, man, he's so brave. He jumped out and he picked up Shaheen and put him in a Humvee and drove to the top of the hill. Except he got shot six times in the process. One, two, three, four, five, six, and he's still alive. Man, the Lord has big plans for this guy. Big plans. And you know what? Now he's coming to work with the Free Burma Rangers. Oh, so cool, man. So cool. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Give it up. Give it up for the Lord. He provides. But now, Muhammad was gone. Shaheen been hit. And we're sitting in a Humvee trapped for 30 minutes and I and I came to understand what it's like to feel powerless anybody ever felt that way powerless I wanted I wanted control I wanted to jump out and go get another Humvee I wanted to jump out and tell people the situation but I, I just would have made the situation worse you know I, I felt alone and trapped by the enemy and it's hard to cry out to the Lord when you feel that way but I did it anyway and he provided even if you feel cut off from the Lord's sight, no, we serve an all-powerful God. You are never cut off from the Lord's sight. And when I cried out to him, he provided. Another Iraqi soldier drove down with a team, uh, team member of ours by the name of Justin. And they linked up a toe under fire and got us out before somebody brought up a rocket propelled grenade and took us out. How was it in Iraq? It was hard. It's hard to keep walking in obedience when you're afraid. Right? 
I was afraid after that. Saw Shaheen get shot, treated between three and 500 casualties on the east side of Mosul, all those people dying. It becomes more and more real all the time. Those little snaps you hear go by your head, you start realizing, oh, you see what the damage can do. After that, that day, I was like, man, I never want to do anything like that again. So a month later, <laughs> we were in an area <laughs> called Zinjili. Zinjili is a neighborhood that borders the Tigris River. And we embedded with the Emergency Response Division, which is like the SWAT of federal police. And we spent the night treating folks. Throughout the night, more and more casualties were coming one man came to us and he said, I, I just saw my two daughters' heads blown off right in front of me. I thought maybe he was exaggerating. The next morning, we went up to a major highway. It was two lanes and two lanes with a median in between in our hospital where ISIS was posted up, shooting down. They had between maybe 100 people and 100 families. We got differing intelligence uh, as human shields in the hospital. There was uh, maybe 70 dead bodies in the street. I saw the two little girls' faces gone. And then as we pushed up to a second floor, we saw them moving. We saw them moving among the dead bodies. There was five people still alive up against the wall. And once again, I got to see what it's like to be powerless because there was no way we were going to get out there without dying. Two men and three children. One was a little boy. He was wearing horizontal striped shirt, no pants. He was scavenging water off of the dead bodies. The little girl, she was hiding from the sun under a dead mother's hijab. It was what I expect hell to look like. And once again, I knew what it was like to feel powerless. And once again, we all cried out to God, praying, Lord, just give us something to help these people. It was torture, man. When you have this massive hero complex and you just want to go out and save somebody and you can't do it, it's like torture. We just wanted to go and help. And you know what? The Lord provided, again, in the form of smoke, an airstrike. U.S. coalition dropped smoke for a Christian NGO. When has that happened? And you know what else we got? An M1 Abrams tank. We're a Christian NGO. But, but the Iraqi army, they pushed out in a tank for us to use as a shield. And man, I felt that cold fear. I said, all right, we're going. Well, okay. We ran out behind it, and I was hugging that thing. You see, it's amazing what you'll do when you're getting shot at to get some cover. There's a lot of uh, exhaust pouring out of the back of an M1 Abrams. And I hugged that thing so close it singed the arm hair off. Right? And we pushed 150 meters, and I was from here to this gentleman in the gray tee, and I was screaming for these casualties to come over to us because we didn't want to leave the safety of the tank. The smoke had drifted, it had cleared, and then they dropped more. And we're screaming for them to come to us. Two men and a little girl, the other children had taken off. We don't know what happened to them. And we're screaming for them to come, but they're not moving. And so our leader, David Eubank, he ran out and he scooped up the girl and ran back. This is all under fire. And then he looked over at me and said, we're going to get the guy. And he shook my hand and he said, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And we ran out. I've never been that scared in my life. Don't get to show courage if you're fearless, right? We know what the right thing to do is in a situation like that. Because scripture tells us, greater love hath no man than he who lays down his life for his friend. And that's quoted by a lot of veterans. But 
here's this man, maybe he's ISIS. Is it not love also if we, if we do it for our enemies? So I ran out and I scooped up this dude. 17 years of weightlifting finally came in handy. Ran behind the, guy, ran behind the tank. Then Ephraim and David Eubank, they scooped up another guy and they came back. And then we had to retreat 150 meters behind this tank, dragging the casualties. The one man, he was lost, fell off the stretcher. We couldn't tell the tank to stop. He was shot and killed. The man and the little girl, they were safe. Ephraim, a former Navy SEAL, he was shot in the leg during the process. And man, he was a pro about it. He threw on a tourniquet, kept on moving. And I gave him a hard time when he said he was going back to her beal. I'm like, you're going back to her beal for that little paper cut? I got shot in the leg too, man. And he's like, you didn't get shot. You got nicked. I got shot. There's a difference. <laughs> Real professional, man. He's an awesome guy. It's hard. It's hard to keep going when you're afraid. And after that day, I was like, man, I never want to do anything like that again. And so the next day, we crossed the road in the Humvee, and we snuck in through a bombed-out Pepsi factory on foot to the same area we had been because we heard there was more casualties alive with four members of the emergency response division. So close, I heard ISIS speaking to each other. I could hear them talking. That's scary, man. I don't want to wind up on YouTube getting my head cut off. But we went knee-deep in empty soda cans. You know how loud that was? I cannot believe they didn't hear us. But the Lord deafened and blinded the enemy, and we got five casualties out right under their noses. All in the name of Jesus, and all because of him. It's hard to keep going when fear takes hold, ladies and gentlemen, but remember, we were not given a spirit of fear, but of power love and self-discipline and that self-discipline overcomes the strongest of fear how was it in Iraq it was hard but I'll tell you what the hardest thing was for me it wasn't getting shot at it wasn't seeing the dead bodies it wasn't treating casualties and getting blood on me and all of that through all the through all of it the hardest thing for me was remembering that Jesus came and died for ISIS too that God loves ISIS just as he loves us that's real hard for me to say in front of you right now. The hardest thing was remembering that God calls us to love our enemies just as we are to love ourselves and just as we are to love him and just as we are to love our neighbors. My wife and I arrived in an area called Rashidiyah in northwest, uh, northeast Mosul. And as we arrived, my Iraqi soldier friends, they wanted to show us something. So they said, ta'al, ta'al ena, ena daesh. And I understood what they were saying. My wife, she didn't quite understand. Her Arabic's not quite up. Where mine is, I speak ten words, she speaks two. <laughs> they open the door, and there's three ISIS prisoners tied up. Now, this wasn't my first face-to-face -face encounter with ISIS, but I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. My first feelings were not ones of compassion. Maybe y'all are perfect, I don't know, but I did not feel compassion towards them. I was like, hmm, five minutes alone. I'm sorry, that was just a thought. I didn't do it. It was just a thought. I'm being honest with you. My wife later told me her first, one, her first feeling was one of fear. Are we safe with these guys here? And her second one was one of compassion. Like, oh, they're huddled under a blanket. Should we get them another blanket? God bless you, babe. You're such a better human being than I am. And so we discussed 
what it looks like in our Bible Devo the next day, the next morning, we always have a Devo. And we discuss what it looks like to love an enemy in a place where they will torture you and cut off your head. And then we prayed for an opportunity to do that. And you know, two hours later, one of those ISIS soldiers was being watched by an Iraqi guard with an M16, and he was being made to clean up the school the Iraqis were using as a headquarters, sweeping up dirt and debris and all this mess. And I was standing there watching him with Ezzedine, one of our Yazidi translators. Needless to say, he doesn't have much love in his heart for ISIS either. We were watching this man sweep and clean up, and I was thinking about all the casualties I had treated on the east side of Mosul. And all of a sudden, I saw my wife and another guy who had been out with her team with uh, Christian Aid Ministries. They came, and they started helping this guy clean. And I said, this, I said to myself, this is a powerful moment. This is the gospel in action. But I... I need this guy to understand what's happening. So I walked up to him with Ezzedine to translate, and I said, hey, stand up. I want to say something to you. Later, my wife told me, she was like, oh, crap. <laughs> and I said, look, I want you to understand that these people who are helping you clean, they are Christian. They're helping you clean because Jesus told us to love everyone, even our enemies. And this, this next part, this is, this is the Holy Spirit because I was not capable of something like this, but I said, you know what? I know that you are ISIS, I know that you are my enemy, but I love you and I forgive you for what you did. And he started to weep. I watched the tears run down this guy's face and disappear into his long ISIS beard. And I said, this is conviction. I just, I just got to see the gospel in action because the gospel says if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. I gave this man forgiveness, man, and I watched conviction come from the Holy Spirit and crush him. A little bit later, myself and another medic, he had a head wound. We were treating him, and the other medic, she slipped him a little piece of candy, which he pocketed. And later on, he was let out blindfolded and handcuffed, and normally these guys are uh, not treated very nicely, maybe executed. And I thought, man, you know, the last act of kindness he may have ever received came from a Christian white French woman in the form of a jolly rancher. And I don't know what happened to that man, but I like to think that, the, that our Lord is capable of absolutely anything. And maybe he came to him in a dream and he received Christ anyway Amen. because he is capable of that. Love is the driving factor behind what we do. And we're not capable of doing it without the love of the Father. I beg you, I beg you that you just educate yourselves on what's happening over there. I beg for prayer. And I beg, I beg that whenever you see oppression, you take a stand against it because that's what we're called to do. Yeah. Pastor, would you be willing to come up here and pray for us before we go? Come up to? Can I look? <laughs> Not quite sure what to say.
Oh, Jesus, you're the Prince of Peace. Holy Spirit, you're the Comforter. Our Heavenly Father is the Father of all men that would dare to believe and follow. And we just simply ask you, Lord, to come and visit planet Earth. In the midst of all the evil, the pain, the suffering, those that suffer in private, those that suffer publicly, we just pray, Lord, that you would just come. For innocent people around the world, for Christians, Lord, being persecuted for their faith. ask you, Lord, to come. And Lord, for this family, this husband, this wife, as they have offered themselves to you in a place that doubtful any of us would go, we just want to pray, Lord, that the watchful hand of God would be near them. The same God who met Elijah on a mountain who was all by himself and reversed the course of a nation's history it is the same God that we ask to be with us. We simply offer our lives afresh to you. Whether we're on the streets of Mosul or whether we're here in Texarkana. Because all of us, Lord, are your ambassadors. All of us are called to be disciples. All of us are called to take up our cross daily and follow you. Scripture says it's accounted unto us not only to believe, but also to suffer for his name. Lord, might we always see it as whenever a sacrifice is called for, that we respond to you with joy. It goes without saying, Lord, that you would just bless this couple and you'd keep them safe. And you'd increase, Lord, their compassion as it goes in dark places of the world. Won't you pray for us that God would awaken something in us as American Christians? Father, you, you told us that if we are to be your disciples, we must take up our cross and follow you. Now, Lord, uh, a symbol of salvation, of peace, but Lord, in your time, an instrument of torture. Lord, we must be willing to take up that burden, Lord, and may we all be willing to do that. Maybe we be willing to walk in obedience. Maybe we will, may we be willing to follow you wherever it is that you tell us to go, may we walk without fear, Lord, knowing that you are greater than anything that you can, that the enemy can throw at us. Lord, we ask for courage, for strength in your name, that we may be willing to combat the enemy in all things. Wherever the people are oppressed, Lord, it doesn't matter if we're supposed to go to most, Lord, to the house next door, 
where someone is being treated wrongly, but we would have the strength to cry out against it, that we would have the strength and the courage to walk boldly in your name. And Lord, I pray for those in Iraq. Lord, I pray that your truth would be revealed to them, that they would turn away from the lie that they have been taught and that your truth would be revealed. Lord, I pray for ISIS, that they would hit their knees and beg for your forgiveness, Lord, and that they would be willing to turn to you and repent from what they have done, and that that would spread, Lord, throughout the whole of the Middle East and then throughout the whole of the world, that all eyes would be on you, Lord, and that when you return, every voice will cry out, thank, thank you for your salvation, Lord. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him a big hand. God bless you guys. Thank you. Well, why don't you be seated just before we go. We want to receive our evening offering tonight. And uh, if you want to give something towards their ministry, anything in particular you want to mention about your needs and your ministry? My wife and I are, are volunteers. Um, we just... Uh, what you give allows us to keep doing what the Lord calls us to do. And not only that, but we want opportunities to bless people. There are so many needs there. I see children with no legs, maybe one leg without a wheelchair. We see people starving. They issued a fatwa so that they could start eating cats. They're starving to death. And this is not stuff that is reported on the news. We want to be able to bless people. And we just ask that you pray. Pray first. If, if God does not want you to give, we don't want you to give. We don't want you to do anything that God doesn't want you to do. Pray first. And if the Lord leads you to give, we ask that you would walk in obedience. And that's it. Thank Praise you so much. Praise the Lord. Well, be sure in your offering tonight that you designate whatever it is. If you want to designate to them, just uh, write uh, uh, Barclays or missionary, crazy man, whatever you want to put on there. Uh, I'm, I'm half... Uh, facetious, but wow, man. But be sure you designate where you want your money to go tonight so we make sure it, uh, it goes, to, goes to the right place. Uh, ushers, if you'll wait on us. And uh, Nicole, would, would you like to say something? Come say something. Noel, I'm sorry. Tell us, okay. how, how, what do you do while he's... Well, I, I do different things. I'm in the office most of the time getting uh, passports ready or um, visas for people to come in. Um, we can get, I can get paperwork to get past one checkpoint, but then it's relationships that get you past the next checkpoint. And the Lord has blessed us, putting in us in, in favor with government and with um, the Iraqi army, the general. We can call the general at any checkpoint and say, hey, we're here. We need to get this food by. And he can give them. He's a, let these people buy when they're wanting to shoot us. An Iraqi general? Yes, or... yes. An Iraqi general. Um, we're there. We do... Um, I do distributions with, with the kids and with um, the IDPs. In the video, you saw people coming by. Those are IDPs, thousands of IDPs playing their homes, playing their homes. I'm just like, all I have is water, but that's all they need in that moment, you know? And I just want to say, I just want to say thank you for having us, letting us speak and share what the Lord is doing. Um, but we also want to speak healing into you guys. Like you were singing, there is a cloud. I just imagine, I'm going to try to say this without crying. I'm not good at this. That's why he does all the talking. But 
I imagine a cloud over this place and those raindrops. I was just like, it was healing. This is what I was praying over you guys as a body for a healing, for love, for peace, for patience, for restoration in your marriages, in your relationships with your children, with your friends, with your family. That's what I'm praying for you guys because I want you to know we love you just as much as we love the people over there. Well, I don't quite know how to close this one. Well, why don't you just put on that CD and turn it up a little louder if you want to, and uh, you can stay here, you can go, you can do whatever you want to do, but don't just turn it off. Let it be incentive to go forwards in the will of the Lord for our life. He talked about his calling. You have a calling and I have a calling. How many know right here where we are? And there may not be bullets flying around, but how many know heaven and hell is just as real for people in America as it is in Iraq? I love you. God bless you and thank you for, for being here tonight.